Okay, this is on. Did you sleep good, Jenny? Um, yeah, for me, yeah, I'm sure. You usually don't sleep good? I usually am awake before, way before it's time to be up, yeah. Oh, yeah? Wow, and I. Oh yeah, my brother can do that, but I gotta get my sleep. I have to get my sleep, but I can't. You need it, but you just can't get it. Is that what happens? Do you read when you go to sleep? You know, if you take your book and you bring it closer to your eyes. It strains your eyes and it makes you makes you tired very quickly. Try that. That may work. Oh yeah. And you're gone. All right. Well, yesterday I told you that what we were going to do first thing this morning is we were going to bring each other to decisions. And. Uh, Andrew, I'm going to have to bring you up to speed about what we talked about yesterday. When, we're, when we give a Bible study or we do a sermon, people will give us excuses. You ask the question at the end of your Bible study, at the end of your sermon, what would keep you? Is there anything that would keep you from accepting Jesus today? Is there anything that would keep you from following what God has taught us? Is there anything that would keep you from putting those cigarettes down. And then people will give you excuses. Once they give you that excuse, your job is to say, you know, I went to a particular class, I went to this, this class, and they taught me that, um, that God has something to say about everything. And so taped here in the front of my Bible, and what you'll do is you'll just cut this thing out, and you'll tape that right in the front of your Bible. And you say, in the front of my Bible, I have a sheet of the most common reasons people say that they can't do what God is asking them to do. And then I'll go over there and I'll sit next to that person. If I've been sitting across from them, I'll scoot closer to them and we'll look at this sheet together. I let them see it. I'm, I'm hiding nothing when I'm over at somebody's house. I, I, the only agenda I have is for them to hear the truth. If they accept it, fine. If, if we can persuade them, go to, uh, well, we'll talk about that in the next class. So what we're going to do now is we are going to Think of some excuses, some, most, some very common excuses that people give us. Um, for example, somebody says, I can't keep the Sabbath because I'll lose my job. You ever heard anybody say that? You ever heard somebody say that? I did. Yeah, you lost your job for it. Yeah. Has God taken care of you since then? I haven't missed Absolutely. And praise the Lord. Ah, hi there, Kimberly. Let me give you one of these. You're going to need that. So what we're going to do is we are going to bring each other to a decision. So you think of an excuse, whether that's smoking, whether that's you don't want to take your rings off, whether that's uh, you can't keep the Sabbath because you're going to lose your job. You think of an excuse, and then we're going to bring each other to a decision by asking what would keep you and the person that has the excuse says, well, you know, uh, I can't keep the Sabbath because I'm going to lose my job. And then you say, well, I went to a class, and in that class I learned that God has something to say about everything. 
And so what you have there on the top, these are just duplicates of each other. The bottom is just a larger font than the top. And these are common excuses that people give us when we're having Bible studies with them or when we go over to clear that person for baptism. And you remember from yesterday that you always point people back to the source of conviction. And the source of conviction is God. So you're going to overcome excuses with Scripture. You're not going to overcome excuses with reason. You're not going to overcome excuses with argument. You're just going to overcome it with Scripture. And when you ask what would keep you, they give you the excuse. You overcome that excuse with Scripture. And then you ask the question again, is there anything that would keep you? And then they're going to, they're going to give you another excuse. So we're actually going to practice that right now. So we're going to get in groups of two. Well, we'll have one group of two and one group of three. And then I'm going to float between the two. And so one person in the group of three is going to be an observer. Okay? So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll start doing that. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege right now of being able to practice bringing someone to a decision. You know that this is the most important part of giving a Bible study. We ask, Lord, that you will teach us through experience right now in this, this bubble of a classroom how we can bring each other to a decision. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so why don't the three of you get together, and then you two get together, and one of you is going to be the excuser, and one of you is going to be the one that overcomes the excuse with Scripture. Okay? And I'm just going to bounce back and forth between the two and listen. To begin with, we've got, we've got quite a few minutes of doing this. Well, shall I, shall I just do an example of one first? Would that be better? All right. So who wants to be the excuse E? I will. You will? All right. So... Uh, I'm, I've, he's, uh, you've given me a decision card, okay? What decision did you make? You know, I, I've thought about it, and I've thought about it. I, I just don't think it's right for me at this time. Uh, I've got a job, and uh, if I don't work Saturday, I'm, I lost my job. I've got three kids and uh, a wife to feed and uh, big mortgage payments. I've got it all, you know? I just... Uh, really let go of that job at the present time. Maybe you could come back and we'll talk about this in six, eight months from now and maybe try to make some other arrangements. Mm -hmm. but, but you do feel like from the presentation the other night that God has called you to honor his Sabbath. Well, that, that's true, but I'm thanking God that maybe give me a little more time to mm -hmm. uh, let me uh, just to get my house in order before I make that decision. Mm -hmm. You know, Jim, because you're the head of your family, all of the decisions that you make will have an eternal impact on your wife and your children. You know, statistically, when fathers accept the truth, over 80% of the time their family accepts the truth and walks in it. But not so when just a mother accepts it. 
hopefully my uh, my wife is going to leave me and go find somebody to take care of her. I lost my job, my house, my car, and all that. Oh yeah, you know, Jim, I was at a um, I went to a, a youth meeting one time, and at that youth meeting, there was a teacher there that gave us a um, a list, and it's a list of uh, very common reasons why people think that now is not the right time. And so what I've got here in the front of my Bible, and of course it's not taped, but it should be. What I've got here, Jim, is, is just a list of, see it says, how to meet excuses with Scripture. Okay. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to find an excuse that is very similar to yours, and we're going to see what God has to say about it. Because you and I could sit here and talk all day long about what you feel and what I feel, but you and I both want to serve the Lord, don't we? Yes, amen. Yeah, we do. So let's just look at this. Here we are together, just two men studying the Bible. Well, what about this one? It says, my husband, wife, father, mother, brother, sister will oppose me. Is that the way you're feeling about, about your wife? Here's maybe? one about the Sabbath. Uh, let's see. Uh, it's inconvenient to keep the seventh day and follow this doctrine. Yeah, that sounds like, you know, all this is going to follow, but if I... If, if I don't know, if I'm not convicted of this, all this is not going to be important to me. I mean, because my wife's ideas, my children's ideas, I'll be uh, doing nothing. So, again, I just think uh, the good Lord will give me a little time to get my house in order. Then maybe six, eight months from now I can find a different job, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try to look for one that uh, doesn't pertain to the Sabbath. Okay, so, so then what I'm hearing, just so I can make sure that, that God addresses it, is that um, you said here that you can't make a living if you keep the Sabbath. Is that right? Well, with, with, with my present job. Okay. Have you at, have you asked them? Um, no, but I'm pretty sure that I won't. I'm a, I'm a younger man in the company, and and I'm 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 just afraid that they'll just say, you know, let me go because uh, we do work a lot of Saturdays and Sundays, twelve hours a day. You know, they okay. Got, they try to get all they can out of what they got, and they don't want to hire more new people. Well, Jim, I believe God has something to say about this. Don't you? Well, maybe I'd like to see it in the all right. Bible. Let's, let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And I'll just pull that out of my Bible and lay it right here. 36, please. Or chapter 6, or chapter six. verse 33. Okay, you want to read that, Jim? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Okay, so what does that verse say? It says God comes first. Then what? But seek the fir uh, ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and his blessings, and all these things shall be added unto you. If I, probably if I keep the commandments of God and, and through prayer uh, and through God's grace that uh, I need to quit my job probably. But I'm still worried, Jim. You know, that sure. Are there more verses? Oh, sure, absolutely. Let's listen to what else God has to say. Go to Psalm 37. Psalm 37.
And my sheet here says that we need to read verse 3, and then we're going to read another one. So you want to read Psalm 37, verse 3 there, Jim? 37, 3. Uh, chapter, chapter 37? 37. Or Psalm 37, verse 3. Verse 3. Yeah. Oh. That's 36. <coughs> 37. Three. Three. There it is. Uh, trust in the Lord and do good. So shall thou dwell in the land, and uh, verily thou shalt be fed. Hmm. So where does our trust need to be, Jim? In the Lord. And what does he promise that he will do? That he will feed me. Thou shalt be fed. <clears throat> in the Lord and do good. So shall thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. That sounds like he'll take care of me. Sure does, doesn't it? Go to verse 20, uh, 20, let's see, 5, verse 25. <clears throat> I have been young and now and 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 now am old. Uh, ye have uh, yet I have not seen the righteousness forsaken, nor his seed uh, begging bread. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Wow, it just it just totally wiped me out. I just uh, you know maybe my faith should be stronger. Just hear a few more lessons. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, no, that's a beautiful verse. I do have faith in God, and and uh, I, I'm, gl I'm glad I'm seeing this in His Word. Yeah. So, Jim, is there is there something that would keep you? No, I'm, I'm gonna have to think about it a day or two. But I don't think there's nothing to keep me. I let my glory know on Monday that I can't wait Sabbath no more. All right. So we'll see you in church on Sabbath. I think so, yeah. All right. Good stuff. Hey, let's have a word of prayer. Thank you. Lord, we just want to thank you so much that your word is so powerful, that you have considered all of the reasons that we might think it best not to serve you. Lord, we pray that you will give us the strength to do exactly what you want us to do. In your name we pray. Please be with Jim while he talks to his, the people at work. Give them a merciful heart. But if not, Father, please strengthen Jim's faith. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I don't work this out, but I work hard. Yes, yes. So you understand what we're doing is we're just, we've got excuses. And they're common excuses. You can use excuses like, uh, you know, I'm just not going to take my ring off. Excuses, I, I just can't quit smoking. And so... You're overcoming those excuses with Scripture. Never argue with someone about their legitimate excuse. We cannot minimize their excuses because to them, that excuse is bigger than a mountain. Right? It's bigger than a mountain. So why don't you guys work together as well? I'll give you both these sheets. Do we need to model one more? Does somebody else want to be my excusee? You'll be my excusee? All right. Well, why don't you come up here? You understand the concept of what we're doing? All right, then have a seat over there. You'll, you'll watch. Who wants to be my excusee?
You want to be my excuse here? All right, then, Danielle, you can just sit right there. All right, so uh, you, you came to an evangelistic meeting. Um, I preached on, what, what did I preach on when you came to an evangelistic meeting? Or, or what Bible study did we just have? What about the remnant church? <coughs> Health? All right. Well, you know, it's so good to see you again, Danielle. You have a beautiful home. How long have you lived here? Two years. Two years. Wow. Now, who's, uh, whose pictures are these that are on your wall? <coughs> oh, yeah? You know, Danielle, one time I went into somebody's house, and I said, is this your... Is this your mother? And the guy looked at me and said, that's my wife. So after that, Danielle, I never asked if this was a specific person. I just always said, tell me about the pictures that you have hanging on your wall. Can you imagine? I was so embarrassed. Well, you know, Danielle, last night you turned in a decision card. And on your decision card, you said, I want to follow the biblical counsel on food. And then you also checked that you wanted a visit. And so here I am, just came over to visit. So uh, what's going on? Okay. Who who told you you had to give up smoking? Um, you just maybe got an impression or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's go to First uh, Corinthians. Let's go to First Corinthians. I don't know if the text I'm about to use are on the sheet or not, but. Let's see. Oh, gotcha. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Well, the one I was thinking of isn't on the sheet here, so we'll just go to 1 Corinthians 6. You remember when we talked last night. By the way, when somebody turns in a decision card, the sooner you can follow up that decision card, the better. You've always heard the expression that you need to strike while the iron is hot. When the Spirit of God is convicting someone, at an evangelistic meeting, or when you do a Bible study, right then and there is the time to visit that person. If you can't visit them that night, of course, most people can't visit them that night in an evangelistic meeting, so you visit them the next day, you have maybe a three-day window in which to visit those people. If you have hundreds of people coming to an evangelistic meeting, the evangelist will probably say, all right, these people are assigned to you, these people are assigned to you, so that everybody has one or two people that need, desperately need to be visited in the next one, or, one to three days. Otherwise, that impression is gone. They excuse it away. Okay, so here we are. Can I First, ask you a question? Sure, sure. The decision card, you're talking about an evangelistic meeting. What That's are you right. doing Bible studies? What if you're doing Bible studies? Right then and there, you're asking someone what would keep you. Yeah, when you give the Bible study on Daniel chapter 2, you ask them what would keep you from accepting the Bible as the Word of God. God wasn't just right once or twice or three times or four times or five times. He, would write, he was right six times. Yeah, so, so that's what I would do. Now, what would, what would keep you from putting your trust in, in His Word? Some people say, well, I've never read it. Is, is, is that all? 
Yeah, that's it. I've never read it. So then what, what should we do? Right. We should read it. That's right. Yeah, Go ahead. Jason. Yeah. So like for me, like in the group, on like you know, I was talking about all these meditations and stuff. Mm -hmm. Then it, like like it told me like maybe it's just like like what is like happening, you know, what like as time goes on, things are happening, you know, like it could be like coincidence or is this coincidence happen one hundred percent of the time? Nostradamus, you've heard of him? That's coincidence. He's right maybe 30% of the time. But God, God is right all of the time. So here we are. What can I tell him? I just told you what to tell him. God's right all the time. Yeah, is coincidence 100%? I mean, can you just say that, that all of those things are coincidence? They were written thousands of years before it was to take place and it's taking place, is that a coincidence? It didn't just happen once, that may have been a coincidence, or twice, that may have been a coincidence, or three times, that may have been a coincidence, but when it happens the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth time, is that still coincidence? It can't be. All right, so here we are, 1 Corinthians. Danielle, sorry, I just got a little sidetracked there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and can you read verses 19 and 20? Just read them out loud there. body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which is God's. Okay, so what does this text say? My body is temple of God. That's right. Our bodies are the temple of God. So what, how should we be treating our bodies? We should be doing it with it. So is there anything that would keep you? tried stopping before, but I didn't work. Danielle, have you ever tried asking God to help you stop? Mm -hmm. Yeah? And what happened then? Didn't work. Didn't work. Are you ready to be finished with it? Mm -hmm. If I give you some biblical principles to follow, will you follow them to the T? Mm -hmm. All right. First of all, we're going to go to Philippians 4.13. You're probably very familiar with this. You've been going to church all your life. Maybe you just didn't know where it was found, or maybe you do. Do you know what Philippians 4.13 says? Oh, that's right. So we didn't have to look it up. You have it in your mind, and that's good, because every time you think you want to pick up a cigarette, what are you going to say? That's right. So who wants, who wants you to smoke, Daniel? The devil does. You remember when Jesus was being tempted? Three times Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, and every time Jesus said, it is written, didn't he? So every time you're tempted to smoke a cigarette, this is what you're going to do. You're going to say, it is written, and then you quote that verse. What's the verse? Yeah, don't say it quietly. Say it loud. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That's right. So you're going to claim that promise, and then because your hands want to do something and your mouth wants to do something, you're going to get the biggest cup of water you can find, and you're going to drink the whole cup, and you're going to try to drink it in one breath. Just are you used to drinking a lot of water? Yeah, good. Drink twice as much. What you're trying to do is flush that stuff out of your body. Now, there's another very important principle. We understand now that we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us, right? Even if it means quitting smoking. 
But we've got one more thing we got to do. Go to Romans chapter 13, verse 14. I don't know if you guys are noticing this, but I always am making eye contact with her. The moment she stops making eye contact with me, I know that she's being convicted. Because right now, I'm standing in the place and being the voice piece for God. Asking this person to turn their life over to Him completely when it comes to smoking or whatever excuse somebody's giving. You always look people in the eye. And, and don't squint at them like you're mad. You, know, you look at them with, a, with a, a look of compassion. The same way you would look at uh, a baby squirrel that had a broken foot. See what I'm talking about? See what I'm talking about? Or, or a kid that just, uh, a two-year-old little girl that just falls off of a, a tricycle. And you're like, oh, and you go pick them up. So you're looking at them with compassion. You know, Jesus never even looked at someone in a way that the devil would be able to say, he sinned. Never once. So you're looking at them with compassion. So we're going to Romans chapter 13 and verse 14. Romans chapter 13 and verse 14. And you want to read that again there, Danielle? And notice how I'm always using her name, right? I'm always using her name. It's very important. If you have the decision card in your hand, you need to memorize that name. If Rover, if they have a dog named Rover, you need to write on that decision card, dog's name is Rover. If Grandma lives in the house with him, you need to write, Grandma lives in the house with him. If Grandma's a smoker too, you need to write, is a smoker too. And that's when you call grandma in and you say, hey, we're going to talk about, Danielle has expressed a desire to, to follow God's counsel about treating our body as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Would you like to join us? And then maybe grandma will quit smoking too. All right, so here we go. You want to read that? But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Okay, so what, what is that saying, Danielle? The first thing it says is what? Okay, so now let's just, let's just get a little uh, 3D visual in our mind. Let's just pretend that there's a suit called Christ, and that represents all the power of God, because that's what it says in 1 Corinthians 1.24, right? Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. And so let's just suppose that you climb into that suit, and you zip it up, the zipper's in the back, and you duct tape it so you can't get the suit off, so now you have all the power you need to do what God wants you to do, right? That's why you can do all things through Christ that strengthens you. So the first thing we do is we put on... That's right, we put on the power of Jesus. Then what does it say? What does that mean to make not provision for the flesh? Okay, let's take some wild guesses. What is a provision? If you were going to go on a three-day hike, you would take what? Provisions, wouldn't you? So you would take something that would enable you to eat. Here, Jesus says what? Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. So what does that mean when it comes to smoking? You know, that's, that's exactly how I would see it, to get rid of that provision. Because if we've got the cigarette, now you don't drink, right? No. So if you, let's just suppose that you were an alcoholic. 
and you wanted a drink of water, would you go to the bar to get it? No. You just go to the sink in your house to get it, right? Because if you went to the bar, what, what are the chances of you drinking again? Yeah, pretty much 100%. So if we have even a cigarette butt that's fallen on the floor underneath our bed and we're going through that craving and we're praying, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. And that cigarette butt is under the bed and there's still a little bit of stuff on it. What's going to end up happening? No, 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 no. You're going to get some water, remember? But it's true though, isn't it? You're definitely going to want to smoke it, aren't you? You're definitely going to want to smoke it. So what we have to do then is we have to make first a decision, a decision to stop smoking. And that's, you know, you, you said you wanted to follow God's counsel. And so I'm just assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you want to follow God's counsel. But it's impossible without God, isn't it? Go to Matthew 19, 26. This is powerful. And when you're, when you're doing things like this, it, it pays to be familiar with your Bible. But the only way to get familiar with your Bible is to be studying the Bible with somebody else. You can't just get familiar with the Bible by studying it on your own. That makes you an intellectual dummy. When somebody is challenging you about your faith, that means you're giving Bible studies to someone and they say, but what about this text? You say, I, I don't have the answer for that yet, but I'll get it. And then what do you do when you get home? You're like, oh, God, please forgive me for not knowing your word better. And then you're, oh, if you can't go to sleep, you're just reading it and you're studying it so you can answer that person's question the next time you get together. That's what makes you know your Bible when you are challenged. When you're challenged. Matthew 19, 26. Go ahead. So Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Except what? Except nothing. So with God, all things are possible. So is there anything that would keep you? So what do we need to do? If we're going to do what, what Romans chapter 13 verse 14 says, what, what should we be doing right now? And you're ready to make that decision. Okay, do you have one of those little Walmart bags? You want to get that? And I'll hold it. And I'll pretend, I'm not Jesus, but I'll pretend to stand in the place of Jesus. And you just give all that stuff to Jesus. We'll take it, we'll wrap it up, and I'll throw it away. Is that a deal? All right, let's pray. And then while you're going to get the stuff, I'll continue praying. And then we'll have another prayer when we're done, all right? And if you, if you get the temptation the next day to... to Take a smoke because you've emptied your house. It's not there. Instead of on the 15-minute breaks every two hours, instead of hanging out where you used to hang out, you need to get yourself that big old cup of water. It's true. You'll be going to the bathroom a lot. But get yourself that big old cup of water, and at the beginning of that 15-minute break, you just guzzle that thing down and go for a walk. Go for a walk and breathe deep. What you're doing is you're replacing the habit of smoking with a different habit. I'll also include in, uh, in the notes that I'm going to email to you guys a five-day stop smoking plan that, uh, that you can use. I've never done a five-day stop smoking plan unless it's in conjunction with an evangelistic meeting. 
It's more, more of, along the lines of a rah-rah, cheer-cheer class for them, where we're just going through more promises and more promises. I'm telling people to drink water, replace their habits. If, they're, if you always rolled out of bed and your cigarettes are right there, what you need to do is have a cup of water right there. So when you roll out of bed, you guzzle that water. If you always used to go to the kitchen and get a cup of coffee, you've got to change those habits. So instead of drinking coffee, drink the water. Have you ever washed your dishes in coffee? No? So coffee would not make your dishes clean, right? So when we're trying to flush all that nicotine out of our system, what do we want to flush out? We, we want to flush it with water, don't we? Because that's going to make us clean. Okay, so I'll be right here. You go get all that stuff, okay? So we've prayed. She goes and gets the stuff. I'm still praying. It's a very spiritual, very spiritual time because she's not doing this just for her because she wants to keep smoking. But God is, is telling her that she wants to stop smoking, so she has a struggle with the flesh, right? So, and you put that stuff in the bag, and you take it out. Now, you know, I've had some people who have watched me leave with that stuff. And if I see a dumpster, I'll throw it in the dumpster. And then when I call them the next day to see how they're doing, they're like, hey, you know, I saw you throw it in the dumpster. I went out there and got it. So sometimes what you do is you take, um, you just go to the sink, have that person go to the sink, and you put water in every one of the packs of cigarettes that they have. You let them put water in it, and then they put it in your bag, and then you throw it away because you can't light a wet cigarette. It just doesn't work. So, all right, I, I could do this all morning long, I actually. Okay. Do you, uh, if you were the smoker yourself, and with the help of God, you quit, could you give a small, short testimony of that? Yes, that, that's very appropriate. But just remember, you have to be very careful not to take the attitude of, I quit, so you can quit too. It's not a big deal. You can't take that attitude because for them, it's a mountain. You know, Jesus says, with faith, you can move a mountain. So you have to encourage those people's faith. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. So faith comes from hearing the Word of God. So that's why we overcome excuses with Scripture, because an excuse shows a lack of faith, doesn't it? Even in our own lives, we, we try to excuse something, and we're showing a lack of faith. All right, does somebody else want to be? Uh, you guys were easy. Somebody else? Yeah, you were easy. Not yet you haven't. You told me on Monday you'd let me know. <clears throat> somebody else want to? Uh, now you know what we're doing. You want to be up here? You want to do it? Is that what you said? Okay, good. Then let's, let's just go ahead and do that. I didn't know if you guys want to see another one. So we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So we'll get in groups of two, and then there will be one group of three. Okay, so just get in groups of two. Uh, Jason, you want to join these ladies back here? And then I'm just going to float around and listen.
Your excuse doesn't have to be something on that sheet, but something on that sheet will always apply to those excuses. If you choose a text that's wrong, you say, you know, maybe that didn't apply so well, but I know God has something to say about it, so let's find another one. Is there something on there? Or, uh, There's something I can't give up. It's down. Uh, let's hell? see. There's one thing, movies, ring, tobacco, etc., which I cannot okay. give up. Okay, so these are the... By the way, if somebody asks you what testament it's in, you know, all you have to do is tell that person to put their finger in the very front of the Bible, the index. I know you know where it is, but just tell them to put their finger there, and then you tell them the New Testament book of Matthew, and then all they have to do is look and find the page for Matthew, and then they go there. We did that in Albuquerque. There was a, a young lady we were giving Bible studies to. She didn't speak very much English at all, definitely didn't read it. We gave her a Santa Biblia. I don't speak Spanish. Uh, and we used our English Bible, and we taught her how to find things. Because I would just go to the front and say, okay, Marcus. Yeah, so, okay, go ahead. Okay, we're going to have an example of that. But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Okay, so that doesn't necessarily um, answer your question about why it is wrong to read words or read, but it does say here that no matter, you know, there are some things that God may want us to give up, um, but he doesn't expect us to do it on our own. He, he says you're going to have faith that he's going to help you through it no matter what it is. Um, That's good to know. We'll, we'll keep that in the back of our mind while we keep searching the scriptures as to why you'll read. Um, yeah, because I don't see anything wrong. Right, because it's not like I'm going to go to hell or anything. Like, what's the big deal? Well, that's why we're studying scripture so we can <laughs> see what God says about it. <laughs> so let's look. Um, let's look at another one. Um, okay, let's go same book, Matthew, but chapter 6. Okay, okay, um, go ahead and read 624 and let's see what it says. No one can be a slave of two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and of money. Okay, so money. Um, back in, uh, 
back um, way back in biblical times when um, jewelry started to come into the world and people started making jewelry, that's the purpose that jewelry was made for, was money, gold and things that was used for money. People um, back then, they wanted to show how much they were worth by the money that they had. So instead of keeping it in their pockets or in their purses, they would wear it. They started to wear it. And so that's where you started to see earrings coming around and necklaces and rings because people wanted to show that they had a lot of money. And so it says right there, you cannot serve two masters. Ma ma masters. Um, you'll be either loyal to one or despise the other. You will not serve God and money. So God, excuse me, I'm wearing jewelry because it looks pretty on me. Well, it looks nice. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like, I'm a girl. I, that's what girls wear is jewelry. Mm -hmm. That's showing our femininity. Okay. Yeah, but when you wear, um, when you choose the jewelry that you're going to buy at the store, what do you choose? Are you going to choose the plastic jewelry, you know, just because it looks pretty and it's a pretty color? Or do you want something that's maybe more authentic, more genuine gold? You know, what will you choose? Genuine gold. Something that looks pretty. And something that will go with my outfits. Okay, so necessarily like uh, jewelry that's made out of plastic that's a pretty color that matches your clothes, you wouldn't necessarily pick that. You would go to the gold. Plastic or thread or anything, something that was gonna just anything right. that's yeah okay. So it's not necessarily the gold, gold that you're looking for. Or silver, if it's anything. I mean, what's wrong with just wearing? Okay. Okay. Well, we'll look in the scriptures again and we'll see what God has to say about it. I'm sorry, Rick. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> no, people people would do that. I know. They would say exactly what you're saying. Um, So Luke 14, 33, that's just the next book over. I mean, the two books, two books over. So Matthew, Mark, Luke. And the chapter is 14. These little pages don't turn as well. 14, 33. Okay, so let's read chapter 13, 33. And what does that say? In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not say goodbye to all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Okay. So, what do you think that's, that verse is saying? In order to follow God, I need to leave my materialistic possessions. Okay. Why do you think God would say that to us? Why, why, why is a materialistic thing so important? You know, why does God say we have? I mean, it's just a material object, you know, but why does, why would you think God would see that as a problem? I don't know. Okay. Um, okay. When you have something materialistic and let's say you love that, that thing, like let's say you just bought a new car and you know, it's very easy to love a new car, especially if it's a car that you've always wanted, you know, and you love that car. Well, what are you going to be thinking about for maybe the next two weeks after you buy that car? What do you think is on your mind? 
your car the car you be thinking the car oh i love my car i finally got the car i wanted and the color and um it does this it does that you know maybe i would um put like a new seat cover on it to make it look nicer um i don't know maybe i would change the um speakers in it so that the music in it would be better you know you're constantly thinking about your car so what are we not thinking about when we're thinking about our car all the time? Is the car the most important thing in your life? Is that, no? So, I mean, it's not the most, but it's, no, more but I, it's not like I think about my jewelry all day. Well, we're going to get to that point <laughs> in a second. Okay, so what the scripture is saying, let's go back to it. Okay, yes, so the point I was going to say, okay, so you're thinking about the car and things like that, and you're not thinking about, okay, necessarily more important things like your job and, or, you know, other issues that may be going on around you that are very important, but you're so, um, your mind is so set on the car that you're kind of like minded to the more important things that may be happening around you. You know, there could have been somebody there who needed help, but you never notice that person because you were so dwelling on, on your car. So that's why God says here in Luke 14.33, um, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple because God would want us to be, to put him first above everything because what he did for us, he died for us. He put us first in his life. So therefore, because he died for us, we should put him first. If your best friend died for you, what would you do in return? Not to the best friend because she's gone, but what would you do in terms as far as her family goes? If her family needed food, wouldn't you do everything you could to try to take care of her family for her? So we should think of Jesus the same way. He died for us. Wouldn't you think you would, if you could, like take care of his mother for him, wouldn't you do that for him? So therefore, we should always put Christ first above everything. And if Christ says, you know something, um, I don't want you to smoke marijuana or something like that because it's not good for you. And knowing that Jesus died for you, wouldn't you want to say, okay, Christ, you know, you died for me, so if you don't want me to do that anymore, no matter if we think it's right or wrong, because we love Christ, wouldn't we say, okay, I'll, I'll go to work with you, Lord, you died for me. So if Christ says, um, you know, there's something with Joey that I don't think he would like about it, and even though you don't fully understand why, wouldn't you say, okay, Christ, I don't understand why you don't want to take care of Joey. Maybe later on you'll tell me why, but you're telling me right now that you don't want me to do it, so I'll give up the Joey for you because of what you did for me. I can understand, you know, yeah, I put a lot of money on, I, I spent a lot of money on jewelry, and I spend it on, like, with other, you know, spending my money on other things rather than jewelry, but I this is what I don't understand. It's the wedding ring. Okay. I mean, okay. two people are married. They're in love. I mean, why are you not going to wear a wedding ring to show that you're that you love 
each other. Because, um, you know, what if my man doesn't have a wedding ring? And, um, <laughs> you know, I don't want these, you know, the people, other women, young women trying to, you know? So, well, okay, um, that's what I don't understand. Well, obviously, I understand where you're coming from, and, you know, most of everybody out there would feel the same way. You wear wedding rings to show that you are committed to each other, and so that other people publicly can see that you're committed to him and he's committed to you. Um, so you're putting, in other words, where is your faith? You know, you're putting a lot of faith with in a ring when you wear it. Like that's where your faith is. But a wedding ring is removable. So then where does your faith lie? Or it should be on God. It could be on God, but it could be on your husband. You could have faith in your husband that he's still going to honor your marriage, whether he wears a ring or not. So your faith um, is good if it's on your husband and on your marriage. You guys are committed to each other, no matter what you're wearing or not wearing to show that. Um, wedding rings also, um, the reason why wedding rings are in our culture now is because of a pagan ritualistic um, wedding rings I can't remember right now I'll research it and I'll get back to you but wedding rings uh, I'm not sure exactly why but it came from pagan beliefs and um, people for some reason back then started to wear wedding rings because of their belief in their other gods and that's why God doesn't like want us to worship other gods he doesn't want us to do anything that has to do with any other god because god is the only god and he created us and like we were talking about jesus died for us so it's just like your husband you don't want your husband to go and talk to anybody else in a way that would be disrespectful to your marriage god doesn't want us to be um, involved with any other pagan or other gods because he's the only God. So that's why a wedding ring, we do it. I, I would think we probably would not wear a wedding ring just to honor God more, just to show that we don't want to be involved in any other pagan um, beliefs or practices, even though that's not the reason that we're wearing it, but just because it has to do with that. We, we would want to respect God and say, okay, God, this is the way you see a wedding ring. I see it a different way, but this is the way you see it. So out of respect for God, we just want to honor that. Yeah, because it was weird because when I went to um, the evangelistic series that you had, a lot of the people that were speaking, they were married, but they didn't have a ring. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. It's kind of weird, but yeah. now it sort of makes sense. It's good when we have a good example to look at. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we can keep looking in the scriptures and see um, what else God has to say about jewelry. Maybe um, we can find something that will answer your question more um, thoroughly. Okay, we're going to look at Matthew 13. Is that the first book that we went to before? Yeah, that's the first book. That's in the, remember which testament it was in? Um, no. The New Testament. Yep. Okay, you got chapter 13. Yep. And it's verse 45 and 46. 
Okay, let me see what that says. Again, the kingdom of God is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Okay, so what does that say to you? What does that mean for you? Again, the kingdom of God is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. So the kingdom of heaven is like someone trying to find pearls. So he's trying to find people that are, I don't know. Okay, let's take it point by point instead of looking at the whole thing. Okay, again, the kingdom of heaven. Okay, what what is another way to um, describe the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> fine pearls? If you get into the kingdom of heaven, what does that mean? That you've been saved. Saved. Yeah. You go to heaven, you've been saved. Um, you've received salvation. Okay, so... So it says that the kingdom of heaven or salvation, um, I lost my place here. Oh, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking a beautiful pearl. So it's it's um, symbolism. The pearl is, is representative of the kingdom of heaven or salvation. And it said that there's a merchant who's seeking for that pearl, that priceless, valuable gift, which our most priceless, valuable gift is our salvation. So you think of yourself as searching for that priceless salvation. So that's what that's saying there. Okay, um, so now let's read the second verse and let's see if it makes more sense now. So 46? Yeah. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. So he sold everything that he had and then he bought it again? Okay, the priceless pearl was what again? Salvation. Salvation. So then what did what does the rest of it mean now? He, when he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. They don't get it. Okay, so he found salvation, and it was so precious to him. That he went to sell everything he had? He did sacrifice everything, everything, in order to have that. And bought, so, um, bought it. He didn't literally buy it, but we're just, it's like symbolic. He was willing to sacrifice everything for salvation because he found it so precious. So it's showing, and you know, when you literally, when you think about joy, and that's talking about a pearl, you know, it's like, oh, well, that's not going to go. <laughs> My point that I was going to make, <laughs> never mind. Okay. So, so what would, um, how come, um, how come he tells like little stories like this? Like why can't he just tell it like bold, like straight up? Like why like stories like that? Because um, a lot of times it helps us to understand it better. Sometimes if somebody were to explain, I don't know, to me computers it's a hard thing to explain. So sometimes if somebody were just to tell me point by point plainly, try to describe computers to me, it would make no sense to me. But if they were to use a little story and explain it in a different way, then that would help me to understand it better. 
So did that help you, that little yeah. story right there? it did. Yeah, it's kind of helpful when you use um, little analogies like that. Because pearls are very simple. Mm-hmm. They're very, they're not abstract, like, you know, yeah, glittery. They're, they're just yeah. simple. Mm-hmm. They are, yeah. Yeah, so, okay, so what, um, <laughs> so what would be keeping you from making a decision? No, I, answered all my um, questions that I had. Well, the Bible did, didn't it? Yes. So God did. Yes, God did. Yeah. Well, that's good. So, what would keep you from making the decision? Nothing anymore. I'm going to... It helped me. Um, I've been spending my money a lot on jewelry and stuff. And so I know I should be um, putting my money in better things. Okay. Maybe helping my neighbor or something. Let's all save. Okay, we got about two minutes. Can somebody hurry? Oh, okay. Kimberly, like, why don't you bring the decision? Okay. Let me be the accuser. Yeah. <laughs> the excuse No. Man. Okay. We can, um, you guys both can work together. Do you want? And I'll be the, trying to bring you guys <laughs> to Jesus. You want to take on two people? <laughs> it's up to you. Sure. We can do that. No, I mean, you guys are in the group together. You can. <laughs> oh, yeah. He can He can lead, and I'll be the facil- facilitator. You want to put an excuse out there? Oh, we'll ask him a question. Oh. Oh, um. Evangelistic series. Oh, it was really like hard for me. Yeah. How did you like it, Jenny? It was good. Yeah, yeah. I learned a lot. Um, a lot of things I don't fully understand, but yeah, it was good. Otherwise, what did you not fully understand? Or can can. Is there anything anything that stopping you from making a decision? Yeah. Uh, why you have questions about that um let's look let's look in the bible and see what god is trying to tell us here um let me see when that falls i didn't see when that falls on you i'm not sure which one to (laughs) salvation did you find one no How to find pardon is in the top part. How to find what? Pardon. Oh, I didn't see that. Okay. It's there. How to receive Christ as one's personal Savior is there. Oh, I was looking at 
the bottom one. So let's go to John, and that would be on the New Testament. That would be Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Am I right? Oh, sure. <laughs> I don't know. Go ahead, sister. I'm just observing. Um, all right. One twelve. All who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. So what do you think about that verse? gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name so all but to all who did receive him what do you think that means to all who did receive him he gave them the right to be children of God like accepting mm -hmm. accepting him as your personal savior yeah Text there it says, As many as received him, to them gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So, in order to receive Christ, we must what? Believe in his name. Believe in his name. That's what the Bible says. So, we must believe in Christ in order to receive him. Now, you know, Jason, when we came over to your house, we knocked on the door, right? Yeah. And when did we just barge in after we knocked? And what did we wait for? And what did you do? I opened the door. And then what did you do? Asked him to come back in. That's right. So when you feel the desire and the need to accept Christ as your Savior, what do you need to do? If he's knocking, you have to open the door. And then what?